Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome to this latest episode of the Bill Press Pod. You know, when it comes to politics, Joe Biden and Barack Obama could not be more different. Biden goes with his gut. Obama leads with his mind. Biden loves to have a drink with members of Congress. Obama despises it. Biden would work the rope line until there's nobody left but him. Obama can't wait to jump in his limousine and get out of there. And yet, somehow, they formed a partnership. A close working relationship, but not a bromance. A partnership that's proved to be, perhaps, the most effective relationship between a president and a vice president in history. How'd they do it? And what's the nature of their relationship today, now that Joe Biden's in the driver's seat? Gabriel Benedetti, national political correspondent for New York Magazine, whom you know as one of our roundtable regulars, spent the last year researching the Obama-Biden partnership and lays it all out in his new book, The Long Alliance, The Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Gabe Benedetti, congratulations on the new book and uh, welcome back to the uh, Bill Press Pod, uh, which you're a regular guest anyhow. Hi, Gabe. Yeah, it's great to be uh, in this version of the Bill Press Pod, and thank you very much. So the new book, The Long Alliance, The Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama, wonderful book. I enjoyed every word of it. I think you did a great job um, uh, detailing their relationship and explaining it. Uh, and I, So, Gabe, here's the deal. I finished the book, and this is last week. I pick up the Washington Post the next morning. It happens to be Wednesday, September 7. The morning, the Obamas are coming back to the White House for the unveiling of their official presidential and first lady portraits at the White House, which is, uh, of course, going to be a glorious, joyous day. And the headline in the Washington Post is, tensions linger between the Obama and Biden camp. <laughs> I just want to read you a couple of sentences from this story by Tyler Pager, uh, last Wednesday's Washington Post. Quote, beneath that jovial atmosphere is long simmering tension and even some jealousy between the circles around Obama and Biden. Some Biden loyalists are resentful that Obama didn't throw his weight behind Biden's presidential aspirations complaining that even now Obama's team does not fully respect Biden. Obama loyalists are frustrated that Biden's aides regularly boast of how they have avoided the mistakes of the Obama White House, such as failing to sufficiently tout the president's accomplishments. Gabe, this is the subject of your book, right? This tension between the Obamas and the Biden. Is it for real? Well, I don't remember exactly what my tweet said, but after I saw that story post uh, last Tuesday night, I think I said 
something along the lines of, if you like this story, boy, have I got the book for you. <laughs> um, uh, so I, you know, obviously sent out the pre-order link, but listen, yes, that's the, that's the story here. Um, to back up for just one second. Um, yeah. I think it's an important thing to note here that, okay, everyone certainly who's listening to this, everyone who cares about them knows the bromance story. They're very close. And it is in fact true. I found by talking to hundreds of their friends, allies, associates, whatever, that their relationship is genuinely as close as any between a president and vice president was in modern history. And certainly between a president and former president. Okay. Now let's pivot. All of that said, they are wildly different men. But not a bromance, right? As such. It is just simply not a bromance. Yeah. Uh, they are wildly different men from wildly different worlds. They're close, but the idea that this is some uncomplicated friendship is just, it's not reality. And it never has been. It never has been. So these days, what Tyler in the Washington Post wrote uh, the other, you know, the other day, that's all true. And to this day, one of the big discomforts is that neither side will really admit to the other that this like mm -hmm. lingering tension does exist. It's not totally obvious that there's this amount of direct tension between the two men themselves, simply because they have other things to worry about. But it is right. also true that their relationship is nowhere near as close as it has been at various times in the past. They still talk on occasion, um, but their conversations are not really about politics or policy. They're more just catch up and general general kinds of conversation. But right. I think, do think that the most uh, important or pointed part of this is this conversation about how Biden and people around him often talk about how they learned the lessons of the Obama years and how they're trying to do things differently. To a lot of people who are close to Obama, uh, this is sort of annoying, not because they disagree. They obviously think that Biden is doing mm -hmm. things, you know, based on lessons that he learned, but because to them, they're like, well, yeah, that's the whole point. Of course he's doing that. If he, That was the whole point of voting for him in the first place. That's what the presidency is. Obama always says the presidency is a relay race. You know, we got to pick up from where the per previous guy left off. So the idea to a lot of Obama people that Biden is doing something novel, it's maddening to them. On the other hand, it's definitely true that there are people in Biden world who, for example, when Obama came by the White House uh, in April, I believe, and said, you know, made a joke calling Biden vice right. president. Vice Biden. president. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Biden laughed loudly as if to say, oh, ho, ho, I'm in on this joke. And of course he is. It's not a very complicated joke. And, you know, it's the most obvious thing in the world to say. But there are people around him who, who say, you know, come on, like, show some respect. This is the commander in chief. And that does linger. Yeah. I, I, and I, you know, through your book, um, you talk several times about the tension between the two camps. But I came away with the impression, and maybe from this story, too, that the tension is more on the part of staffers than the two men themselves. You agree? There's no doubt that there's been real tension between the two of them, especially when they saw the world very differently at different times over, especially their time yeah. in office. But certainly in the run up to the 2016 campaign, when, you know, maybe yeah. we'll talk about this, but when Obama essentially picked Hillary Clinton over Joe Biden, and even in the run up to 2020, when mm -hmm. Obama said, listen, he wasn't going to dissuade Biden, but he was pretty clear that he didn't, wasn't sure it was a good idea for Biden to run and that he was going to be neutral. But in terms of the camps, this is a conversation that goes back all the way to their earliest days together. You know, look at what happened during their 2008 campaign. Yeah. They had known each other in the Senate, but this was the first time that they had really worked on a common project together, the campaign, once Obama chose Biden. And almost immediately, 
Biden and some of the people around Obama clashed because Biden felt that he wasn't being taken seriously, that they didn't understand the kind of politics that he was trying to do. You know, literally from the first speech they handed him as running mate, he took the speech, took a red pen and rewrote it for an hour or two. (laughs) And then you had, you know, David Axelrod and David Plouffe looking at him saying, what are we getting ourselves into here? Uh, There's a, you know, a fun moment some of this is, was was known at the time, but a lot of it wasn't about how essentially they put Biden on a teleprompter after he went off off message a few times. But his whole argument was, you guys don't understand what I'm trying to do with appealing voters. And he would he would vent and vent to his aides, you know, some of which he had to fight to even be allowed to take on the plane with him because the Obama people didn't trust mm-hmm. them. And, and sometimes he would go on these rants and Ted Kaufman, his longest running confidant, would one, you know, let him vent for a bit. And then he would say, you know, I need you. Uh, Joe, Senator, to remember uh, three words, Air Force Two. And that's how he would ground him, as if to say, listen, we've got bigger things to worry about here. Right. So uh, first of all, I want to make sure I understand from your introduction to the book, you uh, requested uh, but were not granted an interview with Joe Biden or Barack Obama in writing the book, correct? Uh, Yeah, I I tried for many months to talk to both of them. talked to many, many, many people close to both of them, but was never able to talk to either of them. So let, let's go back to the beginning. When did these two guys first connect? Well, the first time that they really got a sense of each other was 2004. So that's mm-hmm. the presidential election pitting John Kerry against George Bush. Uh, Biden had been in the Senate for a very long time, and he was convinced that he was going to be John Kerry's secretary of state. In fact, as I report in the book, Kerry essentially offered him the job. Yeah. So he's got other things on his mind when Obama at the convention shows up and, you know, blows the roof off the place. Everyone says, who is this guy? Right after the convention, Obama is flying back from Boston Logan Airport to Chicago and is getting mobbed at the airport. So he slips into the American Airlines lounge to sort of get some mm-hmm. get some space. He gets a phone call and his campaign manager slips out to, to take a deep breath and try and understand what is going on now that his client is the most famous person on earth. And he runs into the Bidens and Joe Biden gives him some advice. And he says, listen, and he's talking to Jimmy Colley, Obama's campaign manager here. He says, listen, and he looks like he's about to impart the most incredible piece of advice in history. But he essentially just says, this guy is not going to you know, have everything handed to him on a platter in the Senate. He has to be a workhorse, not a show horse. You know, keep his head down, do the policy work. Now, this is extremely conventional wisdom advice. But of course, the way that Biden delivers it, it's like, uh, you know, only a 40 year veteran of the Senate could possibly know this stuff. But Kali understands what's happening here. You know, Biden is essentially saying mm-hmm. this guy, you know, might be a celebrity, but we've seen celebrities come and go. You know, you got to handle this the right way. In the Senate, they get to know each other a little bit because Obama joins Biden's foreign relations committee. But even then, you know, Biden is the chairman. He's the most senior member. Uh, Obama is the most junior member. And so they don't really have a lot of one on one interactions. They have some. But to the extent that they're aware of each other, you know, Biden is in his own world trying to be the Democratic counterweight to uh, the Bush White House, especially on Iraq and Afghanistan. And and Obama is watching him just thinking, oh, my God, this guy is quite the bloviator. And even in their first conversation, you know, on the Senate, you can see that they're really not seeing eye to eye. Biden invites Obama over to have a conversation when Obama asks to be on the committee. They have a fine little chat. And then Biden says, you know, uh, this is all well and good, but let's have a real like, get to know each other meal, you know, in the Capitol when we're both in town. Yeah. And 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 uh, Biden says, let's just go to some cheap Italian place. 
And Obama <laughs> is taken aback. And he sort of sees this as, who does this guy think he is? You know, I'm a senator now. Not only that, Obama was now had money for the first time in his life because of a book deal. And he says, you know, we can go someplace nicer than that. I can afford it. <laughs> that is is horrible if you ask Joe Biden, because Biden, his whole shtick is, I'm, you know, regular Joe. I don't have any money. And he sees Obama and he goes, who does this guy think he is? You know, who is this guy who's talking about how he can spend money on a big dinner? I can't. So they both walk away with no plans to go to dinner and not really understanding each other at all. So starting from there, uh, flash forward to 2008, we know the whole story. We don't have to go into all of that with Obama and Harry Reid basically telling him to run. Obama's not really happy in the White House, uh, I mean, in, in the Senate. So he decides to go to the to run for president. But what drove him then to Joe Biden, whom he always thought talked too much, uh, his vice presidential running mate? Well, part of it was just the, you know, again, the conventional wisdom that he needed someone older with Capitol Hill experience, with foreign policy experience, who mm-hmm. literally had gray hair. I mean, that was literally something that they had written down as something that they wanted to have. Um, and Biden had not had run a good campaign at all. Right. But Obama had actually come to realize during their debates that Biden, though he was basically being ignored, was saying stuff of substance that he obviously knew his stuff. Um, though Obama had been annoyed by how much Biden was talking in the Senate, he also saw that he clearly had some political, he, he liked his political instincts and that he he didn't know the policy. But um, the fact that Obama zeroed in early on Biden as one of the people to take seriously really wasn't a surprise to anyone at the time because he was on every shortlist. You know, he was yeah. the obvious person for someone like, like a young, untested candidate like Obama. That said... Um, it wasn't as obvious as it seemed. You know, there was there's one moment where Obama calls Bill Richardson and asks him to vet him. And Bill Richardson says, yeah, but why are we going through this? You're obviously going to choose Biden. But Biden, you know, wasn't so sure that he wanted to do it. because right. he, he, thought was, he, he, he was rather reluctant. Biden was right. That's I mean, right. He sort of said, I've never had a boss in my life. And this guy who's 20 years younger than me and all his eggheads are going to be my boss. And mm. he also thought maybe he could be secretary of state. But anyway, Obama eventually wears him down and says, you know, I promise you, you can be a full partner. Um, But even then, in the final interviews, Obama does three final interviews, one with Biden, one with Tim Kaine, who's then the governor of Virginia, and one with Evan Bayh. Now, Bayh is a senator, former governor who, you know, is, is a boring choice, but would be a fine one. But Obama is not taking him as seriously as the other two. In his conversation with Kaine, Kaine essentially says, you know, I don't know if you should choose me. We're too similar. And that's what a lot of people around Obama had been saying, too, because Kane was also then at the time mm-hmm. seen as this young, inspiring liberal from Harvard. OK, that's what Obama was, too. And Obama says to Kane, yeah, you're the choice of my heart, but Biden is the choice of my head. And the problem is that sometimes I listen to my heart and sometimes I listen to my head. <laughs> but here's the thing. We know that Obama listens to his head and so does Joe Biden. And so that's how he ended up with it. Uh what were there any conditions that Biden placed on Obama or that uh, for accepting the job? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as soon as he realized that he was going to be taken seriously, uh, Biden and his his aide Ted Kaufman rang up uh, Walter Mondale, the former vice president, and his chief of staff Dick Mo, and they said. You know, Mondale, they recognized Biden had seen a lot of presidents and vice presidents during his time in Washington and knew Mondale pretty well and had recognized that Mondale was by far the most influential Democratic vice president that he'd seen. And he really did reshape the office. So they asked for advice and, and what they were told and then what they took to Obama was, 
got to make sure that every piece of paper that crosses the president's desk, you know, the vice president has access to. Got to make sure that you have regular lunches, regular meals, regular meetings. And most importantly, you have to make sure that the vice president is the final guy in the room for every Mm -hmm. big conversation, for every big conversation, every big decision. Biden essentially takes these to Obama. And to his surprise, Obama says, yeah, sounds good. You know, Obama's starting to get the sense that there's a lot going on in the world and that this is going to he's really going to need his vice president's help one way or the other. And Biden's sort of taken aback by how easily Biden or Obama you know, agrees to all these things. But then Obama has a condition for Biden and says, you know, if I want you to do this, if you do this, I need this to be the capstone of your career. And Biden <laughs> looks back at him and says, oh, not the tombstone. So that conversation, <laughs> though not explicitly, great. is understood by both of them to mean, well, you're not going to run for president after this. And right. if you look back at the New York Times' story, the day that Joe Biden is picked, one of the final paragraphs says something that to the effect of, one of the great things that Obama has done here is choose someone who's not going to cause him any political headaches because he's too old to run for president in 2016. Of course, that's not how things worked out, but that is right. certainly the understanding that they had uh, on that, you know, that that day in Minneapolis when they first met uh, secretly. So once they are uh, sworn in, they're in the White House, the, the working relationship. They did stick to their weekly lunches, uh, as you report. Um, obviously, they were not always in town at the same time. Um, uh, there, there was you. You also report, Gabe. There was one thing that Obama wanted, which was loyalty, right? That Joe Biden might disagree with his decisions, but and Biden promised he would always support whatever the president's decision was, even if he just disagreed with it. Was there ever any time when Biden broke that rule uh, that and was disloyal to Obama? Yeah, well, not only that, but the second part of it was that Obama really wanted him to make sure, wanted to make sure, wanted to get the, the, the commitment that not only would Biden go along with it, but that he wouldn't then leak or wouldn't, uh-huh. you know, yeah. let it out there that he didn't agree with this. So, you know, there were certainly times where it was well known that Biden and Obama were not on the same page. Some of them are famous. You look at, for example, the uh, raid to, to uh, the raid of, of Obama, Osama bin Laden. Um, obviously, Biden was known at the time to be the most hesitant person in the room on that, though later he'd sort of changed his tune on it. What wasn't so known at the time was he was very, very skeptical on a lot of things. For example, uh, Obama really wanted to push on a health care reform measure, you know, what became Obamacare, almost immediately. But of course, mm-hmm. the economy was falling apart at the time, and Biden was wildly skeptical. He was going around saying, I know Capitol Hill, I know politics, you know, we're, gonna, we're kneecapping ourselves if we're going to try and do this. This is historically a political loser. And over time, he realized that he just was not going to win this one. So he sort of shut up. But he was not, therefore, central to the Obamacare push because it was known that he had other things that he cared about more that he thought were a better idea to focus on. Another one was the uh, debate over the war in Afghanistan, which Mm -hmm. was a massive protracted conversation between Obama and Biden, but also between military leadership, you know, Secretary of Defense, Bob Gates, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Um, Biden from the start almost said, we got to get out of Afghanistan. You know, he didn't put it in those terms, but he was trying to argue for as few troops sent in as possible while Obama was hearing arguments from generals, uh, David Petraeus, Stanley McChrystal, to massively ramp up. Obama at one point asks Biden to try and make sure that he's really pressure testing the general's arguments. And Biden goes all in and essentially starts making the argument in these, in these you know, repeat 
repeated meetings in the Oval Office, in the Situation Room. What are we doing here? We need to change our strategy entirely. And it became obvious to people that even though you know Obama had asked him to play this role, that he really felt this way, that he was really upset about the way that you know the military was strong arming in his eyes Obama to to uh, you know massively ramp up investment and, and troop size uh, troop levels in Afghanistan. And how about the same-sex marriage question? That was the one sure. time, right, that publicly uh, Obama, I mean, Biden broke with Obama. That was by far the most prominent one. So that's right. People might remember this. This is 2012 heading into their re-election campaign. There had been conversations in the Oval Office, and Biden knew about at least some of them, about how Obama was going to roll out the idea that he was now in support of same-sex marriage. Um, Obama had come to this conclusion over time, but wanted to be careful about how he talked about it. Um, he didn't want to be seen as too obviously political about it, though, of course, it was a political conversation. Um, and he wanted to be careful, you know, in swing states and places with uh, some socially conservative voters that he thought he could still be competing for. And his advisors were very wary about that. So they had planned this whole rollout um, with interviews scheduled and, and they hadn't set, set any specific time. Anyway, uh, Biden is set to go and meet the press uh, in May of 2012 to lay out a little bit about the, uh, the, the re-election campaign. It's supposed to be a pretty uneventful um, conversation. And for the most part, it is until he's asked about same-sex marriage. And he effectively goes ahead and endorses it. And this is a massive moment for this, for the, you know, for, mm -hmm. uh, for civil rights, for gay rights. It's a, it's a massive moment. And Obama is essentially furious because not because he disagrees with Biden, but because he feels that Biden has gone ahead, getting, gotten ahead of him, even though he knew that, Biden, that Obama was trying to uh, roll this out at some point. You know, within the West Wing, there was real fury among some aides who felt like Biden was just, you know, getting over his skis, trying to look better than Obama. And some people around Biden thought that maybe he was trying to pressure Obama. Obama got mad at him in person and said, listen, like, I understand, but come on, man, you're making us look bad here. Right. Biden ended up sort of uh, not apologizing because, of course, he felt strongly about it. But he, he, you know, took a backseat for a little bit and was, in fact, sidelined uh, when it came to campaigning for a few weeks. But behind the scenes, he and his son, Bo, actually rewatched the footage over and over and over because they were so proud of it. You know, Biden felt that he had really taken an important stand, but also that he'd pressured the, the rest of the administration to do the same. It was rumored at the time. Is there any truth that Obama considered replacing Biden for 2012 as his running mate, maybe re replacing him with Hillary Clinton? When Jim Messina took over as the campaign manager for that election uh, in you know, a year earlier, one of the things that he and some others high up in the White House and high up in that political operation did was start a series of focus groups and polls to basically test every proposition about the White House, uh, personnel, policy, communications. Among the questions that were asked was not explicitly, but uh, implicitly the question of who the vice president, who the running mate should be. Never did they test the question, should we get rid of Joe Biden? Should we replace him with Hillary Clinton? But they did test the images. They did test some versions of that question. And so what, what started to happen was that a version of this started to leak out. Now, this is a conversation that happens every four years, as you well know, Bill, in Washington, right. and it's never real. So Biden was furious that the White House wasn't doing more to bat down this idea. Um, and he eventually, you know, went to folks in the White House and said, what's going on here? Now, Obama said publicly, there's nothing to it. There's nothing to it. But Biden said, why did this take quite so long? And essentially what he was told was, listen, 
It's true that there's nothing to it. It's true that we're not going to do it, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't shape up a little bit. And here's the fact of the matter. It, it, it did, uh, the polling did not find that it would have been useful to replace it with Hillary Clinton. It would have been seen as weak and her image was not all that much better than his when, you know, viewed in this political prism. At the same time, there was a lot of question because Biden at that point still wasn't seen as this obvious partner for Obama in the way that he later came to be seen. And he was not obviously helping them a lot politically. So there was this strange internal moment where Biden sort of said, what do I, you know, what did these guys really think of me? Um, And it was a passing moment, but it was definitely a real one. Well, then you get into 2012. Uh, and uh, Biden, Biden's still on ticket. They're running through the campaign. And the first debate comes up with Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, which Obama really blew. Uh, and as you point out, that's kind of when Joe Biden saved their bacon, right? By uh, He had to have a strong performance against Paul Ryan, uh, and he delivered and got the campaign back on track. Oh, yeah. And he had been practicing uh, for a long time to debate against Paul Ryan. And they'd already decided basically that the best way to do it was not to engage in terms of policy, though to do that on occasion, but primarily the best way to do it was essentially to bulldoze Paul Ryan. Now, uh, Biden did not think that Paul was not impressed by Paul Ryan, who was trying to style himself as some sort of conservative policy wonk. But basically what they determined the best way to do this was to just be as blustery as possible, to interrupt Ryan constantly, to talk about how he didn't know what he was talking about, how he was completely untested, how Obama was the best president in history and Romney wanted to, you know, was a vulture capitalist and so on and so forth. Uh, Obama's people were thrilled when they saw this. And Obama himself called Biden after the debate and said, Thanks. You saved it. You saved us. Now, I think that's a little bit uh, it's a little bit overplayed, this idea that Biden is the reason they won in 2012. But it is definitely true that after that first debate, which was notoriously terrible for Obama, their numbers, uh, the the internal numbers did tighten a lot. And after the Biden debate, once things really got into the fall, they started to loosen up a bit again. Uh, All the details are in the book. So uh, there's so much I'd love to dive into. But let's just flash forward. So 2012, their second term is over. Uh, Obama gives the Medal of Freedom, surprises Joe Biden with the Medal of Freedom, says at that time that Biden was the best vice president in history. But here's what I don't understand, Gabe. So they had served together for eight years. Uh, I think Biden or someone pointed out that when they were in Washington, both in Washington, they spent like seven hours every day together. And yet Biden admitted after he became president, he had never once been invited up to the residence. What the hell? What is that? What does that say about their relationship? I couldn't believe that when I heard it. Uh, I, you just embodied Joe Biden a little bit when you asked that question because he couldn't believe it either. I think that this really gets to one of the central interesting tensions that I tried to explore in this book, but also in their relationship, which is that it's true that they sometimes considered each other brothers. It's true that they thought of each other as best political friends. But that's the thing. Best political friends. Friends in Washington are not always the same thing as friends elsewhere. And it's just important to remember that these men have 19 years between them. They grew up in entirely different worlds. You know, Joe Biden was running for president when Barack Obama hadn't even gotten to law school. So the idea that this is that these two are buddies, you know, kicking back over a beer, Biden doesn't drink, but you know what I mean, you know, watching a football game is just not based in reality. It never has been. 
sometimes that was very painful for Biden. Not because he felt like Obama was the cool kid and they had to be friends, but because there was this perception out there and it just wasn't based in reality. You know, look, uh, here's another fact. They, uh, both of them are avid golfers. Mm -hmm. I can count on on one hand the number of times they golf together in office or out of it. And that's just a very strange fact that, 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 you know, is belied by the idea or that belies the idea that they are, that they are best friends. Their relationship was personal (laughs) in the sense that they spent a ton of time together but they didn't want to spend more than that together. They were already spending seven hours a day together and their families had some ties, but it's not as if their families were suddenly totally you know, integrated with one another. There are some friendships there, but these are not, this is not the story of, you know, this is not the Brady Bunch. Right. By the way, I was covering the White House, the Obama White House at the time. Uh, and the, the rumor around in the briefing room uh, that one time that they played golf together was that, Biden beat Obama, so Obama would never play with him again. But I don't know whether that's true or not. That that is true. I don't know if that's why they never played again. If Biden did beat Obama, there you go. All right, and then Obama's out, and Joe Biden wants to really run badly for president, but he doesn't get a lot of support from his buddy Barack Obama. Uh, let's dive into that with uh, Gabe De Benedetti here uh, after we take a quick break on, on the. Uh, on the Bill Press Pod, and we'll be right back to talk about the Long Alliance, this unusual and yet um, it really kind of worked partnership between Joe Biden and Barack Obama. And today's podcast brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A. Good members of LIUNA, over half a million strong They're the backbone of the labor labor unions in this country, uh, doing construction work, uh, building new schools, roads and highways, water and sewer system treatment plants. Uh, In the energy field, building solar panels and wind turbines and old-fashioned pipelines. And in the public sector, some 70,000 members of the labor's union supporting working families, providing good jobs and good benefits for working families in America. We salute the members of LIUNA and their president, President Terry O'Sullivan. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu. 
www.edu/podcast. And we're back. Thanks for being with us again on today's podcast. Uh, people are going to be analyzing for a long time uh, how Joe Biden and Barack Obama got together, how they worked together, uh, and got a lot of things got a lot of things done. That's all the subject of a great new book, highly recommend The Long Alliance by our good friend Gabriel De Benedetti, The Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Uh, so Gabe, without getting into all the details, it's 2016. Uh, who's going to succeed Barack Obama? Automatically, you would think the president would say, well, I want my vice president to continue our legacy. It didn't turn out that way. I mean, in for all practical purposes, Obama endorsed Hillary Clinton, didn't he? Yes, at least behind the scenes, that's exactly right. how it seemed. And it's certainly how it seemed to Joe Biden, who was who was really hurt by it and furious about it. Now, before we get into the politics of it all, though those are complicated, the context is extremely important here. No one in the White House had thought that Biden was going to run for president. But more important even than that, his son, Bo, who he was extremely close with, was very ill at this time. Obama knew this. Uh, others did not. And Obama could see how it was weighing on Biden. You know, Bo Biden passes away in 2015. Uh, and Obama can see that Joe Biden is really struggling here. And one of his pieces, one of his calculus, pieces of his calculus was he doesn't think that Biden can sustain a presidential campaign. He's not emotionally ready. and He's mm -hmm. not physically ready. Okay, that's there. It's the backdrop to all of this. And I don't want to understate how important that is, because it's very important. All that said, Biden is is right there. He is an obvious choice to potentially run for president. And it's not exactly that he's been hiding the possibility that he might run. This was overlooked at the time. But on Election Day in 2012, a reporter had asked him, is this the last time you're going to vote for yourself? Now, there's only other, mm -hmm. one other office he could run for. And he said, he said, no, I don't think it's the last time I'm going to vote for myself. Uh, hello, unless he's talking about running for mayor of Wilmington, that means he was thinking about running for president again. But at the time, no one really paid all that much attention to it. So he was really taken aback when Obama, behind the scenes, and then more and more publicly started talking up Hillary Clinton. And as Obama yeah. saw it, you know, he saw himself as a transformational and historical president. And he thought that it made sense that the next person after him should be the person who was his very, very tough rival in 2008, with whom he'd become close, and who would be the first woman president. Yeah. And so, you know, while he talks a lot about generational change, that's obviously not what this was going to be, but it would still be a massive historical moment. And this is, you know, very painful for Biden because of the personal element, but also because he thinks, didn't we just do all this together? Am I not the obvious person to keep mm -hmm. his legacy going? So that creates a real rift between the two of them. And it plays out very painfully for almost a year, if not more than that. Um, and by the end, at one point, Biden essentially has to make clear to Obama, listen, I get that you don't think this is a good idea, but we have to stop talking about this in our meetings, in our lunches, because we're not going to come to a conclusion here. And, you know, he didn't put it this way, but he was getting furious. He felt that he mm -hmm. was being written off. Hmm. Right. Uh, so I was there in the uh, Rose Garden when uh, Joe Biden made the announcement that he was not going to run. Uh, he did not run. Donald Trump did and won, and Hillary won, ran, and lost. And we get to 2020, and Biden says, okay, now, finally, I get my turn. But Obama still does not want Biden to run, right? He, he, Obama gets, he stays on the sidelines. But as you, as you report, 
uh, he kind of falls in love with Pete Buttigieg, and then he falls in love with Beto O'Rourke and, you know, a couple of others, but not Joe Biden. Why? Uh, Obama feels that, first off, Obama could see that Biden had aged. He could see that Biden was tired. He didn't think that he was going to be in a position to dissuade Biden. And by the way, after the way that he had misread 2016, he wasn't sure that he should be in the business of dissuading anyone. But <laughs> right. uh, so he, you know, when he talked to Biden about it, he sort of said, listen, you really don't have to do this. You know, th there are other people who are going to run. Biden essentially says, sorry, you know, Trump is in office. I'm the one who's going to beat him. I can see this much more clearly than you can. But it's true. Obama goes into this election season in 2020. You know, this is late 2018. He essentially puts out a message saying, I'm going to be neutral. Not only am I going to be neutral, I'm willing to give anyone advice who asks for it. Yeah. So, you know, everyone basically who's running for president or who's thinking about it goes to meet with him. And Biden's watching all of this warily. He understands where Obama's coming from. You know, Obama has never liked winning in on primaries. And he's he's sort of not offended, but a little bit like, really, man, like I'm right here. And by the way, I'm leading all the polls. So are we really not are we really just gonna pretend that we weren't partners for eight years? By the time Biden gets ready to run, though, Obama realizes, listen, I'm gonna have to talk to Joe about this and I have to be more actively involved. And at one point, he actually does get kind of interested in what Biden is proposing to do because he knows that Biden's a decent politician. He's just one of the reasons that Obama was skeptical was that he was really caught up in the idea that younger people and in particular people on the left were really where the energy of the party was. And that's not where Biden was. But mm -hmm. he determines, well, listen, I don't want to see Joe get hurt. So let me talk to some of his people. He invites some of Biden's aides over to have a conversation about how they're going to frame it, how they're going to run the campaign. And it ends up being a pretty good conversation, a long conversation in which Obama says, listen, if this if you mess this up, you're not just disappointing him, you're disappointing me, partially because his own legacy is on the line, but also because he does like Biden and he doesn't want to see him get hurt. Um, and then very briefly, he does get excited. He starts talking to Biden more. He starts hearing a little bit more about what his plans are before getting spooked because he realizes he's getting too invested and pulling back. Now, he allows Biden to use his image. He allows Biden to. Uh, talk about him, obviously, as long as he's very clear that he's not endorsing him. All the while, though, you're right. He is pretty interested in Pete Buttigieg, who he thinks is too short and too young to win, but who <laughs> is doing something interesting. Yeah, He likes the idea of Beto O'Rourke, who, you know, by the way, whose campaign was more or less run by Obama people who are close to Obama, and that's no coincidence. He then says, well, maybe Kamala Harris has something here. Maybe later on, he says, Elizabeth Warren is on to mm -hmm. something. It takes him a really long time to come around to the idea that, you know, this is actually going to be Joe's moment. And and that doesn't make him unique because, of course, it took a long time for all of us to realize that Biden was going to win that election. Um, but it certainly was very uh, present in Biden's mind that his old partner, the guy who he talked about constantly, the guy who he was defending on the campaign trail and who he was still talking to once in a while, was not was not endorsing him and was not being publicly helpful at all. You know, during the 2020 right. campaign general election, once Biden wins, Obama's actually very useful to him in ways that sometimes Biden didn't even realize behind the scenes. But at mm -hmm. that moment, there was no doubt at all uh, in Biden's mind that he is winning this thing, but not because of Barack Obama. So now we have President Joe Biden in the White House. Is it the Biden administration or is this the third term of Barack Obama? You know how earlier I said you were channeling Joe Biden with your questions? Uh, now you've done the exact opposite because he hates that question. Uh, this is the Joe Biden administration. There's no doubt that he and Obama share some big picture policy goals, much like most Democrats do, or at least most mm -hmm. you know, Democrats of their ilk. 
Um, but they're just running the can running the, the the country, running the White House in very different ways and pursuing very different things. They still talk once in a while. Their management styles are not dramatically different, though they are very different men. Um, but the political context has changed a lot, and that, that's inescapable here. I mean, you have Donald Trump looming over everything. The the under the undercurrent of everything Joe Biden is doing is a pandemic. We're getting out of that. The climate is you know the world is on fire. And by the way, the Republican Party isn't just crazy; they're anti-democratic. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to get rid of free and fair elections. The, the Republican Party was radicalizing often in you know racist and you know horrific, violent ways when when Biden when Obama was president. But it was a different kind of uh, environment overall. Even Obama at this point looks at what Biden is doing and while he's happy with a lot of it, does not see a a presidency like he would have had. They simply are different kind of men. Biden has not tried to use the bully pulpit in the same way. He does it sometimes, but just not as regularly. And he relies much, much, much more on Senate arm twisting than Obama was ever, you know, willing to do. So they're just stylistically very different. And, you know, obviously a lot could change after these midterms and certainly after 2024, depending on what happens there. But um, both of them are very sensitive to the idea that this is, uh, you know, years uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12 of Barack Obama's presidency. There are many Washington observers who have written uh, that when you look at starting with the uh, COVID relief package of $2 trillion right after uh, Biden was elected, all the way through to the latest, the infrastructure bill and um, the climate change bill or the so-called inflation bill, that in two years, Joe Biden has accomplished more than Barack, legislatively, than Barack Obama did in eight years. Uh, Do you think that's true? And what do you think Obama thinks about that? I think it is absolutely an argument that you could have, that one could make. I don't, I'm not 100% convinced because, of course, Obamacare was transformational and the, you know, right. re- getting people out of a recession mm-hmm. that was nearly a depression in 2009 was a big deal as well. And there was a lot going on then, too. But there's no doubt that Obama, that Biden has passed just a ton of major big picture legislation. And by the way, if we had been having this conversation two months ago, it would be a, it would be a very different tone, uh, you know, because, of course, a lot of this stuff had not passed at that time. Um, but the presidency is not just about legislation. And that's something that Obama often talks about still to this day. The way that he sees it, I've been, I I understand, is that he, you know, is still very attached to this idea of the long arc of history. When he sees, when he sees Biden pass these massive climate bill, this climate bill, for example, he doesn't see it as a transformation, a sea change, a whole new way of looking at the world. What he sees is, is progress, a step in the right direction, you know, all uh, as part, all in the direction that they've all been working towards. Biden sees things in much more uh, plain terms. He sees things going in fits and starts, and he's willing to make the kind of dramatic change necessary when, you know, when given the opportunity to. He doesn't have this sweeping view of history that Obama does. So they simply look at making change differently. Um, They hate it when one compares one to the other, though uh, Obama (laughs) hates it a little bit more than Biden does. Do they still talk regularly? Uh, they still talk. They still talk on the phone approximately, I would say, uh, a little bit less than once, a little bit more than once a month. Um, they have long conversations, much like their lunches. Their phone mm-hmm. calls are completely private. 
no aides are on it. You know, no one listens in on those conversations. So it's very difficult to figure out exactly what they're talking about. But I can tell you this, they still have not discussed the 2024 election. <laughs> the 2024 election. Okay. Well, um, by the, so let's just close by asking you, what do you know about what of the relationship between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? And it, it, did Joe Biden, you know, kind of set the same conditions for her, she for him? Do they have the same kind of working relationship anywhere near as close as Biden and Obama ended up working together? Uh, what can you tell us about that relationship? And that may be the subject of your next book, Gabe. I don't want to. <laughs> but <laughs> Let's not sign me up for that quite yet. Let me sleep for a few months. Um, to make a long story short, uh, no, the relationship is absolutely nothing like this one, the one between Obama and Biden. And there are a few reasons for that. Um, the first thing to note is that Harris was wildly useful to Biden in terms of getting uh, excitement and support during the presidential campaign. Uh, she helped him raise a ton of money. And for a long time there, she was seen as a transformational choice. As vice president, her role was always going to be different than Biden's was, even though Biden was going around saying during the campaign before he chose her, I want to find my Biden. You know, Obama mm. actually said to him that it wasn't such a good idea to think of it that way because it took them some time to figure out their working rhythm. But if you just look at the basic facts of it, she was never going to be able to offer Biden what he offered to Obama because she had not been on Capitol Hill longer than she longer than he had. She had right. not been working abroad longer mm -hmm. than he had. Uh, there was simply, uh, you know, he was not able to dispatch her on the same kinds of of goals that he was going to do for Obama, politically speaking slightly different situation. Um, it is true that he let her, you know, he asked her to be in on every last conversation with him, every last uh, decision. Um, but there's no better illustration of their different kind of relationship than the fact that they did start to, they started out having lunch once a week. How many times have had they, have they had lunch this year? Maybe three and we're in December. Ooh, whoa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that says a lot. That does say a lot. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Joe Biden and Barack Obama, uh, I think this is going to be, uh, Gabe, one of the first of many, many books uh, uh, looking into uh, their relationship and their partnership. But you have paved the way and done a great job. The Long Alliance, the Imperfect Union of Joe Biden and Barack Obama. And we will have a link up on the uh, episode notes to today's podcast of how you can order your copy and uh, dive into it and enjoy it and learn as much as I did from it. Gabe DiBenedetti, congratulations again, and thanks for joining us on the Bill Press Pod. Thank you so much, Bill. And there we go. That's a wrap for today's podcast with Gabe DiBenedetti and his new book, The Long Alliance. In the episode notes to today's podcast, there'll be a link for you to uh, purchase the book, get your own copy. All of you political junkies I know will enjoy it and learn from it as much as I did. Thanks so much for being with us today, and we invite you back on Friday. We'll be taking a look again at all the big news of the week from our nation's capital with three of Washington's top political reporters on Friday. So take care of yourself and come back and see us for the next episode of the Bill Press Pod.